Who is God? That is what we are looking at in our messages today. This morning we had the privilege of opening the prophecy of Obadiah and heard about God being a God of justice, but especially about being a God who is the supreme God in in a world of turmoil, spiritual turmoil between Satan and and God. That was a general picture of God. Now we were going to get a little bit more specific as we go to the Belgian Confession. Uh, and I'm going to read that in uh, just a minute here. Let's read that first, perhaps. And you'll find that on page 855. 855 in the back of your red hymnals. We're going to read Article 1 and look at that together as a definition that we confess as to who God is. There we read that we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. And then let's pick up a teaching from the Old Testament again, but this time from the prophecy of Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 40. You'll find that if you're looking in your Bibles in the pew on page 712. 712. And for those who are live streaming, you'll find it on your screen. Listen to the words of Isaiah as we hear God speaking to us about a description of who he is. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are as grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows himself, shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He was too impoverished for an offering, chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest, carry, tempest carries them off like a stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of the Lord. May God add a blessing to it. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, I asked the question already this morning, didn't I? If you had to describe God to a friend of yours who has very little knowledge of who God is, how would you even begin to explain who God is? And we got a glimpse of that this morning, didn't we? We got a glimpse of that as we saw that God in essence, is the sovereign one in control of all things over all our world. The story of the scriptures is a story of a battle between our God, the God of the Bible, and the enemy, Satan. 
the kingdom of, the, of this world. And we look at this and then we begin to understand that with that backdrop in mind, as we looked at that from the prophecy of Obadiah, now we have an opportunity to dig in just a little bit deeper, a little bit more concretely, a little bit more specifically to look at some of the character of our God. Article 1 of the Belgian Confession describes God as he has made himself known to us in the pages of the scripture, including here in Isaiah 40, where he sets, Isaiah sets in motion the whole process of talking about God as, as we experience him in our day-to-day life. The theme of Isaiah 40, the theme of, 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 the, of the Belgian Confession is a theme of comfort in knowing that God is real, that God is unique, and that we share some of the image of God in us. We want to look at those three things as we look at the passage here before us. Isaiah opens with a word of comfort. He opens in verse 1 when he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Well, why would they need comfort? While they're receiving this word in a time when things are very difficult for his people, they are in exile. We have a little more specific timeline for Isaiah than we did with Obadiah this morning. This is written at a time when God's people are in exile. There's a reference in verse 2 about warfare and struggle that they are going through. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God's people at this time needed a word of comfort. It's going to be okay. I'm in control. God's people today need that same word of solace, of comfort. Three voices are mentioned here in this first, in this chapter, uh, in, in chapter 40, verse 3, verse 6, verse 9. I like the reference to voices here in this passage because it reminds me that God speaks to us. It's a reminder that God speaks to us as a father much as a child hears the voice of mom or dad when they're going through a difficult time. Shh, mom is here and everything is calm. Just knowing that mom is there, just knowing that dad is listening and there for them. The first voice that we read about in verses three to five is a reminder That the king is coming. The king, we've been talking about that today, is coming. Sort of reminds us of John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. He's here already, as we have experienced it. God's people already in Israel have already experienced the presence of the king, but they need a continued reminder of that with this voice that says, he's coming again. He will help you again as he has in the past. We are reminded in another voice there in verse 8 about how small we are in comparison to God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, 
but the word of our God stands forever. God's word in the scriptures, God himself is forever, always there. Never a busy signal when we get on our prayer line to contact with him, to be in contact with him. Never that busy signal that we all hate when we need to get an urgent call through and hear, uh, 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 uh. or worse yet, I get a message saying, your phone call is important to us. Please leave a message. God doesn't work that way. Seven billion people around our planet today, and he has an ear to every one of them. Not all of them have responded to him yet. But God listens. And then in verse 9 to 11, we read about another voice that tells about the wonders of our God. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. Oh, Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. Isn't this great news? And his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And that's where our confession comes in. Our confession gives us a list of the characteristics of God. We see that list, first of all, when we note that the first three of those characteristics demonstrate to us that God is real. It's not some hypothetical thought. He is real for us. Isaiah in chapter 40 answers the question about who is God by asking questions. Interesting, isn't it? It's a unique way of of being able to address the questions of the day today. For instance, in verses 12 to 14, we get a first set. We're going to look at three sets of questions in the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 40. And then at the conclusion, we're going to look at yet another set of questions as a part of that. In verses 12 to 14, here is the set of questions. And with these questions, they are what we call rhetorical questions that has an obvious answer. The answer is God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? God. Who has marked off the heavens with a span? Well, God, of course. Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? God. And weighed the mountains on a scale, God. And the hills in a balance, God. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Well, God has. Or what man shows himself, him his counsel? God. Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Well, no one. Obviously, because God is God. Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who teaches us these things? God does. And we need to be reminded of that in our lives. Now, in the Belgian Confession, we have a series of characteristics about God. In theology, we call them attributes. Attributes. What is an attribute? Well, it describes 
the various elements of a person or place or thing, really, of any noun. It, it's an attribute. I, for instance, for myself, might be able to be described in different ways by different people. My grandkids would call me Grandpa, Opa, actually. I am a grandpa. I am a father. I am a son. My dad is still living, by God's grace. I am a brother. I am a husband. I am a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a professor. I'm all of these things. In my character, I, am, I can be stern when that is needed. I can be compassionate and gentle and kind when that is called upon. All of these things are true about one person, me. And the same thing can be said about any one of us, of different elements of us. Well, this is what we can think about with regards to God. Now, I have a bit of a problem with that theological term that we call attributes of God. Because it suggests that we are attributing these characteristics to God. As though if we didn't attribute them to him, we might think that he isn't that unless we attribute that to him. Does does this make sense to you? God is one and simple and eternal and incomprehensible and invisible, etc., etc., etc. Whether or not we attribute that to him or not, he is that. It's better used and seen to be a description of who God is and how he relates to us. And so we begin with the characteristics of who this God is to remind us that God is real. The first articles of the Belgian Confession, 14 of them, talk about who God is. Then if you want to, just to give you a rundown of what the Belgian Confession does, then it starts to talk about man. There are four, 15, 16, 17, three of those. Then Christ from 18 to 26. Then the church from 28 to 35. Then the government, 1, 36. And the last judgment, the final one. That's, it starts with God, doesn't it? And that's important. That's by design because that's the design of the scriptures. We read and and confess in our confession that there is a single and simple spiritual being. Single. He's one. He's not a group of gods, as in some religions, that will have a god of fertility and and a god for the crops and a god for, for success and work and a god for this. He is one God. There are no different parts of him. Oh, there are different elements of this God, but you cannot speak about any one of them because they're so intimately interrelated with the other that it's all one. And that needs to be reminded, we need to be reminded of that. There are no secondary characteristics of God. They're all primary characteristics of God. And that's important to be able to see. This one God we read is... A simple God. 
that's related to the one God in a sense that the simple God is something that we can't really just pull them all apart and, and, and be able to see that and, and follow that as if it were a buffet that we would go to, right? I like this. I don't like that. I'll leave that out. I don't want that concept of God. But I do want this. The Bible tells me about that, but I don't really like it. No, it's all one. In that sense, simple with no secondary characteristics. He is not only one and simple, but he is a spiritual being. He is no, no body. We can't see him, can we? It's not like we are in our physical flesh and bone. You can't see or feel or touch him. But it's hard for us to kind of grasp then sometimes perhaps who God is when we can't really see him. But we know that he exists. He know, we know that he is at work in our lives. It's very much like explaining the love that there would be between a husband and a wife. Can you see that love? I mean, can you, can you see it? Not really. But you can see what that love does in the way that the husband and the wife demonstrate their love for one another. So you know that that love is there, don't you? That's how it is with God as well. And to know this is comforting. Comfort is at the heart of Isaiah chapter 40 and of knowing who God is. We oftentimes can be in a situation where we're perhaps on vacation sitting at the edge of, of a lake and looking over at the sunrise coming up in the morning and going, ah, oh, that's awesome. Well, that is nothing in, compared, in, compar- in comparison to how awesome our God is. He's the one who created that for one thing. And it's just a, a sliver of, of who God is in our lives. Our children like to sing a song, don't they? What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven above adore him. What a mighty God we serve. I'm not here to sing a song except to let us know that we even teach our children through song how awesome and big and mighty this God is in our lives. He's real. Not only is God real, he is unique. There are characteristics here in this confession that tell us about God in distinction from who we are. He is what we are not. We read, first of all, that he's eternal. He's not bound by time. We were born. On our earthly pilgrimage, we will sometime die. And if we follow Jesus Christ and are received by him, we know that we will be living eternally, but we still have a beginning, so we're still caught up in in a sense of time. But God, not only is there no beginning and no end for him, there is no time with him. He doesn't even deal with time. Time is not an element for him. One day is is a thousand years, a thousand years is, is a day, he tells us and he teaches us. That's marvelous for us to be thinking that through. Each one of these characteristics, we can spend probably half an hour talking about them. I'm just going through 
a succinct description of them. Secondly, then in terms of his uniqueness, we read that he is, and confess, that he is incomprehensible. We can't know everything about God. We are limited. We can get to know about ourselves. But there are so many things about God that we will just never understand that we need simply to accept in faith. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, he says later on. We read, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. We will never understand everything about God, and that's okay. Because if we understood everything about God, we would be like God ourselves. When we get to heaven, we will understand everything about God. Patience. Wait for that. It's coming. And then we confess that he is invisible. That is, we can't see him. It's very much related to that spiritual side of him. You see how all of these characteristics are interconnected. And again, some people have trouble saying, well, no, I can't really see him. He's invisible. How can I believe in someone that's invisible? Perhaps another example would help. That's a little bit tangible for us. Have you ever seen the wind? Wind? You don't really see the wind, do you? You will see leaves fluttering across the grass. You will see the effects of the wind. You will hear and see about storms and experience storms that are a result of the wind. You can't see the wind itself, but you can see what it does. Tornadoes, hurricanes, these things take place. So it is with God. Can't see him, but we can definitely see how he works in our world today. Proof that he exists because of what we see and what he does. We read further that he's unchangeable, that he never changes. His attitude, though, may change. Because we may say then, well, if he doesn't change, then why should I even bother to pray? If he has got everything all figured out anyways, no need, no need to pray then because he's got it all sorted out, right? Well, think about the series that we had from our seminarian, Dan Hofland this summer about Jonah and how God repented of what he was going to be doing in Nineveh because of the preaching of the gospel of Jonah. There was a change that took place, not in the big picture. God doesn't change in the sense that he is a just God. We learned that this morning from Obadiah. In his justice, he was going to punish Nineveh for their disobedience. But with that same justice as who he is, he now, because of the prayer and the preaching of Jonah, and we have that in, the, in our lives as well with our prayers that we offer up to God, in his justice, in the example of Jonah, he shows himself consistent in demonstrating his grace, the grace side of his justice. He's infinite, we read and confess, 
He's infinite. He has no, there's no limits to God. No limits at all about who God is. There's no defects in him. We read about the fact that he is, and we study that, and we look at that in our catechism classes, don't we? Those three big words, right? Those three omnis. Omnipotent, all-powerful. We'll look at that in just a minute. Omniscient, he knows everything. Omnipresent, have you thought about the fact that his, in his infinite quality, he is present everywhere? He is present here with us as we are gathered together in the sanctuary, but he's present in India, he's present in Turkey, he's present in Latin America, he's present in all the continents. He's done from the bottom of the sea, Psalm 139, right? From the bottom of the sea to the tops of the mountains, God is there. That's because of his infinite quality of being able to be everywhere, all at the same time. To know this about God is very comforting. We have often opportunities and things going on in our lives in which we have a tendency to want to put God in a box. Try to sort out who God is by, by making up sometimes a God of our own image. So we create a God in our image rather than recognize the fact that we are created in his image. And if we don't like the God who is in our image today, well, we just shift things around, things change. And now I, that God worked for a while, but now I want to have a different God. It doesn't make a difference what kind of a God we want to have. God is who he is. And that's a comforting factor for us in our lives. There's another set of questions that comes to us. And that comes to us when we think about God's image now in us. Isaiah, in verses 25 to 27, writes these words. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by the numbers, calling them by name by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, omnipotence, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? God shows his mightiness. He's almighty. That's what we see here when we see now a shift from that which is unique to God to that which we have. He has granted us to be a part of our own lives. We have power. Not nearly as much as what God does. He has mighty power to the nth degree. That's our God in who he is. Even more power than Satan himself. And for that we can be thankful. Samson was considered to be a mighty man in the scriptures. But there's no one mightier than God in our lives. We confess that he is wise. God has granted us wisdom in our lives, and so we can identify with that. But again, he has wisdom to the nth degree, beyond our understanding and knowledge of his wisdom. Solomon was a wise man, considered to be a wise man in the scriptures. But there's no one wiser than God in our lives. We confess that he is a just God, while well, we talked about that this morning, 
specifically about his justice, so I'm not going to go into that detail at this point, except to be reminded of the fact that God is a just God, both good, rewarding evil, I mean rewarding good, and punishing evil. He's just. God is described as being good and the overflowing source of all good. Listen to what James writes to us about our good God. We have some good in us. We are able to do things that are good, but our good is always tainted with evil motives or wrong desires that are a part of our lives. Listen to what James says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. This is our God. Selwyn Hughes, who is a writer in the Puritan tradition, writes this about this God of ours. He says, God is nearer to us in the breath that we breathe. He is also a God who is high and exalted. And these two truths do not contradict each other. They complement each other. He's out there. And he's in here. Ask a child, where does God live? How would you, as children, answer the question about where God lives? Some of you would no doubt say, oh, God lives in my heart. Jesus lives in my heart. Others might say, God lives in heaven. He's out there. Who's right? Well, the answer would be yes, you're both right. Because God is out there in heaven Sovereignly in control over all of the world, and yet he is also so intimately connected to us that he is in our hearts through his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we confess right at the beginning of the confession, people of God, when we say that we all believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths. Do you confess this? Is this your picture of who God is? is let me conclude with just the final set of questions that Isaiah asks when he says in verse 28 and following have you not known have you not heard the Lord the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable he gives power to the faint And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Listen to his conclusion of the matter, and with that we'll conclude here too. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let us be encouraged by who God is in our life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is for us to be able to claim you as our God, not because of anything that we have done, but because you have chosen us. If there be any who hear this message who have not yet recognized you as their Father, as their Savior, Jesus Christ as their Savior, we pray that this may be that opportunity. Help us to grow in our knowledge and appreciation 
of who you are to be reminded of all of these qualities that we have just discussed and talked about and help to make that real for us in our lives. And so, Father, help us to be able to express this by singing as we shall sing in just a moment now. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen.